We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Amen. We're going to read aloud together 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. You'll see it on top of your listening sheet. If you would find that and stand with me. This then is the text for today. Now when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with difficult questions. She had a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and a large amount of gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was on her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from Solomon, which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe their reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I had heard. How blessed are your men! How blessed are those whose servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom! Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne as king for the Lord your God, because your God loved Israel, establishing them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. May God bless the reading of his word. When you make big waves in the world, people are going to wonder where they came from. Now, some will seek the origin of these waves with good intentions, hoping to find something productive. Others, though, are going to seek the origins of these waves with an intent to destroy. It really doesn't matter who or what is at the other end. They refuse discomfort or change. Now, the Queen of Sheba is the former. She saw the tide of change rushing forth all around her kingdom. And like a good leader, she ventured out seeking the truth. She was over a kingdom that sat on the other end of the Red Sea from Israel, 1,400 miles south of Solomon's kingdom. But it's likely that as the queen of Sheba held strategic maritime trade routes, Solomon held strategic overland trade routes. And these were being buoyed by Solomon's naval operations that had been moving further into the south, the queen's territory. But as Solomon's naval and trade ships created waves in her trade corridors, the queen didn't lash out in vengeance. She traveled north at 1,400 miles with a horde of gifts, 
including their specialized frankincense and myrrh. You know, this is a reminder that sometimes we, we read these stories and we picture individuals. We picture Solomon. We picture this queen. But these two individuals represented something larger. They represented nations and peoples, both of which were, were large and doing much in the ancient world. And so these two, they represented two of the wealthiest nations of the day. And their interaction with all of these gifts are similar to France sending along the Statue of Liberty in 1886, or China sending us two giant pandas in 1972, or even the United States sending a statue of George Washington to the British in 1921. These are gifts that are meant to impress and appease an olive branch to another political power. And so the queen sets out on this journey, and she sets out with such gifts. And as the text states in verse 1 and also in verse 5, she heard many things about Solomon. She had heard many things about Israel, and the things that she had heard of Solomon and of Israel, they defied logic. And in her own wisdom as a leader, instead of fearing those rumors, she went forth to find the truth. Verse 1 says she had heard of Solomon's fame. Verse 5 says she had heard of his words and his wisdom. You know, when a rival is said to possess knowledge, you, you have to do what you have to do to go and get it one way or another. And so she did. And surely some of her inquiries of Solomon were around choke points of global trade, something equivalent to, you know, what happens if a giant container ship blocks the Suez Canal in 3,000 years? Or, as the text goes, the, the Queen of Sheba seemingly asked Solomon all kinds of questions about ruling well. But it, but it goes much deeper than that. It goes beyond trade. It goes beyond ruling as a queen. In fact, verse 1 tells us that she asked him the most difficult questions of life, almost like riddles. The, the ancient language here points us to the word enigma in the original. She's asking him about the enigmas of life, the riddles of life. She wants to know about what is this life all about? You see, as the conversation goes, she doesn't just ask Solomon about the trade in Ophir. She wants to know about this life. What, what is this about? How, how do we get to where we are? And, you know, I imagine this, this conversation is something like an initial version of Ecclesiastes from Solomon. As he examines the, the purpose of life under a call of God. Now, we don't really know what Solomon told her. But we do have some of her responses. One of those is what we see in verse 7. Let me read that for you again. She says to him, How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually, who get to hear your wisdom. And so she recognizes this grand wisdom of Solomon that God has given him. But, but don't forget, Solomon had it all, not just the wisdom. Solomon had everything you would need to impress the most superficial people in this world. Whatever it was, Solomon had it. She experienced his acumen. She had already known his power nations away. But Solomon hits the trifecta here. He has the intellect, he has the power, and he has the luxury that's beyond anything that she had seen. You know, it's kind of a shame, but the reality is for most of the people around us, that, that people are swayed by the superficial. You see, most of the world cares way too much about the price of your shoes or the rarity of your watch 
the square footage of your home, or what flight from France the truffle flew in on. But as it was in Solomon's day, he held all of these cards, all of these kinds of things. And see, we see down in verse 3 that these shiny things that surrounded Solomon left the queen breathless, even the things his attendants were wearing. You see, the food in the palace was exquisite. The waitstaff, impeccable. Solomon has it all. If any one of us would have been in the queen of Sheba's shoes, our jaws would have dropped to the floor. And like her, we would have wondered, how can it be? How can, how can all of this be so? How, how have you done this? What has happened? Because what the queen of Sheba was realizing, Solomon is not a facade. You know, many leaders through time have been able to slap gold plating on trash to feign impressibility, but not Solomon. He has a heart of gold. Solomon was more than toys and trade routes. He had a depth that could only come from God. In fact, she continues, if you move from verse 7 and look down at verse 8 with me, this is what the queen of Sheba is exclaiming before him. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel, establishing them forever, therefore he made you king over them to do justice and to do righteousness. Now, when we get to this verse in the text, when we get to verse 8, this seems completely out of place. This verse, verse 8, is surrounded by opulence. And in the middle of this impressive display of national wealth between countries, the queen of Sheba acknowledges the Lord our God. She acknowledges the creator of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as she is saying, how can this be? She looks up and says, it must be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that has done this. Now, I suspect Solomon must have been a witness. And this is what I mean. While answering all of her riddles... Surely he must have told her of the Lord. See, we don't know if verse 8 came from Solomon or not, but, but it is the, the pivotal moment of truth in our reverse text this week. Because we have all seen, seen leaders who have claimed that spray paint was solid gold, and yet they get exposed in their folly. But, but even further, we, we, even beyond that, we, we, we see people whose lives revolve around the economy. And let me tell you, if your life revolves around the economic systems of this world, you are in for a terrifying ride. But when your life revolves around God, you will never be shaken. You see, in verse 8, we hear the truth. And, and we hear in verse 8, you see, you see we, we know that the things that most often impress humanity, the, the toys, titles, attire, even, even a fertile mind. But, but all of these kinds of things, the flashy things, the shiny things, they cannot fix the complex problems of this life. And that's why she came to him. She said, you must know. What is the meaning of all of this? What, what makes this work? What is behind the scenes of this life? Would you tell me the truth? And Solomon tells her the truth of God. In fact, none of, the, none of the gifts, none of the stuff are going to fix the problems of life, but Lord God above can. You see, in fact, what we usually see is all of the things of this world and the things that we accumulate and the things that impress most people, 
usually only prolong the pain. And what we see as she tells us what she tells us in verse 8, the queen of Sheba's eyes were opened to the truth of God. She saw through the sheen of Solomon's presence and realized that the spectacle is in heaven. I mean, she says it plainly here in verse 8. All of Israel is God's pleasure. And, and it's not because of Solomon. It's not because Solomon was a good leader. It's because the Lord God above blessed them and acknowledged them and held them up. You see, she, she, she recognized, she, she even says specifically here, Solomon, this is not your throne. This is a throne of God. And the throne that you sit on, it has an eternal purpose. You know what we recognize here? This should be encouraging to, to all of us on a number of different levels. First and foremost, we, first and foremost, we recognize that Solomon and his palace are both long gone. But you know, these days, that, that same God that the Queen of Sheba acknowledges here in verse 8 is the same God that's working still today, that's working in us this morning, that, that, is, that is moving us forward and, and, and is our perfect redeemer and deliverer. He's working in us. He's working on us. And it doesn't matter. And this is, what, this is one of the things that we can grab a hold of in this text. It doesn't matter how shiny and impressive you are because God is. All of those things that we need to be, God is. And what we recognize as this text unfolds, that it doesn't matter how shiny and impressive you are. Because we can, we can recognize together that, that life is not about finding a way to, to climb near the peaks of luxury that, that Solomon reached, because we'll never get there. But life is about seeking the God who delighted in Solomon. Life is about chasing after this God who delights in all of his children and lifts them up and brings them into redemption. You see, what we, we see in this text is what the queen of Sheba was noticing in verse 8. The most impressive thing in all of Solomon's life wasn't the hoard of gold or the gifts he was going to give her. The most impressive thing in his life was the work of God, how God had been working in his heart, how God had been leading the nation of Israel towards righteousness and justice. So this is the most impressive thing I've seen. And in fact, the most impressive your life will ever be is when you are filled up with Jesus Christ you, you will be at your best when people no longer see you, but they see the grace of God at work. You see, if, if your life is all about you, there's, there's a problem. If all people ever see is whatever shininess you can muster up, it's going to fade quickly. But if your heart beats for Jesus Christ, you will leave the world breathless. You know, the world tells us that, that, that you need to find you, and the world tells us you need to find you and be you and promote you boldly. But Scripture tells us something very different. Scripture says that you take you and you crucify yourself with Jesus Christ so that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. The Scripture teaches us that we get to a place where we are no longer on display, but the grace of God that shines brightly through us is what's on display for the world to see. 
You know, you can have a life of purpose and a life of clear direction, a life that's filled with meaningful work if only you will surrender to the Christ today. You see, what we recognize that's painted here for us as the, the queen comes to visit Solomon, the Lord holds every answer. This was not about the wisdom of Solomon. This was about the wisdom of God, the creator of the universe who knows the intricacies of how every minute of this life works. See, God knows it all, and Jesus Christ will answer every question. Now, we know that we may not like every answer, that the Lord gives us, but you will find every answer that you need to find if you will seek the Lord this morning. You know, we recognize as we read this text, the Queen of Sheba is a lot like the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. They both come from afar, and, and they both recognize there, there's something missing. They're, they're both recognizing there, there's something more to the Word of God. There's something more to life. There, there's something that I'm missing on this earth. And, and, and the answer is the same for, for all of us that have this sense that we're, we're missing something. Jesus Christ is the answer. See, for all of us who feel like there's something more, Jesus Christ said, here is the way. In fact, what we recognize, if we will surrender to the Christ, if we will give up our lives to him, he will mold us into a saint of the kingdom of God. And in Christ, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be more impressive as a reflection of heaven than anything we could come up with on our own. In the Christ, we are saved. In the Christ, we are known. In the Christ, we are delivered. May we surrender our lives unto him this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize that you are powerful, you're omnipotent, you're beautiful and graceful. Lord, you set creation in motion. And we come before you this morning, uh, this morning as servants of the living God. And Lord, we want to be obedient unto you. We want to chase after you. And to sit and know the peace of your kingdom. Lord, we want to have purpose. The purpose of marching in step with the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come, that your spirit would descend on our hearts, spark something new within us. Bring us home, Father. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.